are listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tvcweb.com. Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see y'all. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to Senior Citizens Day. They asked me to come and... uh, so good to be back and to be back on the platform. And I do have to tell you, I love what God is doing in our church. I love our senior pastor, Keith. Isn't he doing a great job? I'm very, very encouraged by that. <clears throat> Super excited about where the church is going. You know, um, of course, I, I know some of you are like, Who's, who is this old guy? And people are clapping and whatever. And if you don't know, it doesn't matter. Uh, but I've been preaching for a lot of years. I always have considered it an honor to stand on a platform and speak to people. But I'm also aware of the fact that it's risky. It actually is very risky because I mess up words. And if you mess up words around your family, they're just like, oh, that's daddy's stupid. You know, that's the way it is. But when you mess up around like with hundreds of people or whatever, they remember these things and they bring them back to you. And I've done it so many times as a pastor. I'm speaking and I messed something up like years ago. Um, I I had memorized a verse in the King James Version about God's love being shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And I was using that in a prayer one Sunday. So I'm praying this, and I somehow mangled the words. I wasn't even aware that I'd done it. But then afterwards, a couple came up and said, we'd like to hear about the new people group that you've been praying for. I said, what are you talking about? They said, well, you prayed for God's broads of love. Now, that's a new area of ministry at TVC. Income producer, I don't know, whatever. And uh, so I've just, I've done that over the years so many times. And so here we are in this series, and I'm closing it out, right? It's called Should Happens. And of course, I love the fun that we've been having with it, but I'm going to tell you up front, I can't mess with something like this one because I will say something that I will later regret. I've done this my whole life. I mess words up. I don't know if it's like a little bit of dyslexia or something, but like I have this propensity to change like, just the first letters around in two words that are next to each other. I don't even know why I do it, but I'll just change the two first letters around in words. And there was a friend, this was some years back when I was preaching out of the King James Bible. He always said he was praying that I would speak out of the verse found, and we'll put it up, Ephesians 6.16, where it says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye, there's that King James, the King's language, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. See, some of you already see where this is going. Because he knew that almost inevitably I would change the first letters on just two words, fiery darts, and you can do the math on that. And yes, yes, you should quench those without question, all right? So we're in this series, and I'm just going to be very careful uh, trying to finish this up. Reminder of where we've been. When we talk about you know, the, the fact that should happens and that we have, everyone has these things in our lives, these shoulds, that what we're really talking about are expectations. All of us have expectations about life, about people. Really, all of us do. We expect that people should act a certain way. You get offended when somebody doesn't do because you had an expectation. They should behave in this way. We think that logically, two plus two always equals what? Four, right? And it makes sense to us. It's logical. And yet most of you already know, if you've lived very many years, that so often life does not take a logical path. It seems so screwy. It's like 
the wedding was beautiful and amazing and everything should be going up and to the right until it doesn't. And so many of our expectations, things that we have, people put expectations on us, often unspoken. We put expectations on them, and on and on it goes. And it's not just with other people. We put expectations on ourselves. I expect that I should be all of this. We put expectations on life itself. We expect that things should go a certain way. And when they don't, we find ourselves sometimes deeply discouraged, and kind of internally, at least, falling apart because we expected that it would go this way. And so, in many ways, this series has been about what do we do when, when our expectations feel shattered, when things aren't going the way we thought that they should go because we're so something, certain something should happen, you know, and then, and then it doesn't. So, today, I want to finish this by talking about an area that, that happens all the time, actually, and I think the damage from this one uh, at least in my opinion, is profound. It is the expectations or the shoulds that we put on God. I mean, we all, we all do this. We expect that if there is a God, if there is a loving God, we have certain expectations. He should not allow certain things to happen. He should fix them if they go south. He should take care of it. We have these, he should never let these things or that thing happen, all the things we see in the world. Because if he is there, if he is loving, then he would not. And the truth is, all of us hold sort of what I would describe as core beliefs or, or, or almost reflexive feelings about what God should or shouldn't do. We, 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 view, we have expectations on how he sees us, how he deals with things, how he does stuff. And we, we, we all have these. And the, the impact of those expectations is actually profound. Years ago, um, I was pretty close to someone who uh, had wandered from an early faith in his life, far from that. And he, he was not following God for years and years and years, and he was far from God. And then he re-encountered God. Now, ours was a long-distance relationship, and so we were talking on the phone most of the time uh, when we would connect. And he just was so, he was so excited about reconnecting with God and finding him and, and coming back to him and following him and all that. And it was so fun and so encouraging to me, you know, as a, as a young pastor, and, and, and I would hear this, but I noticed as our phone calls continued, after some months or a year, I can't remember how long it was, I noticed he was talking less and less about God until eventually God wasn't even coming up in conversation at all unless I brought it up. So I actually said to him, just point blank, I said, where are you at with that? And his response w was heartbreaking to me because it had to do with his expectations. He said to me, Jeff, I just got sick and tired of saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to God all the time. He said, I just felt like I always had him mad at me. I was always failing. I was never enough. And so he said, I've decided I'm done with it. And he was. I mean, to my knowledge, the rest of his life, he was just done with God. Because his expectation of who God was is that God was angry with him every time he made a mistake. Anybody relate to that? And so he just felt like, I'm always saying I'm sorry, and I just I don't want to live that way. And, 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 and this is actually a reality. I think that a lot of us, it's like, it's like we think God's mad at us all the time. We can't see how it could be any other way. And I remember when we started this series, Keith... He, the first message in this series was so good. And if you haven't heard it, man, you should go back and listen to the podcast or watch it. Go to our website and watch it. 
in, in the message archive area. It's such a good message, and I wish that this person that I knew could have heard this because, because it communicated that that's not how God sees us. But his expectations were God's just angry. I love a quote that Keith gave us from Brennan Manning, and this is a quote. He said, Jesus is crazy about you. He loves you. What are the next words? Same with me. Just as you just as you are, not as you should be. And that's because we know nobody is as they should be. Your expectations of God, in other words, what you think God should or shouldn't be or how he acts, whatever, they have, I mean, they can build you up or they can wreck you. And you have to understand, this isn't just a Christian thing. You may say, I'm not even sure where I'm at with God. We all have certain shoulds that we place on, even if we're not sure exists, on what the idea of God would be like. We all have these, we place expectations on God. All of us do it. And many of us are very much like the guy I was talking about. We just think God is angry with us most of or all the time. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? I'll be honest with you, I have wrestled with this so much in my life. I think to myself, you blew it, you said you wouldn't do this, you said you would do this, you didn't. You, I just sometimes, has anybody ever felt this way? Sometimes I'll just say to God, I don't even know why you would look at me. I don't even know why you want to be around me. And we have those feelings on the inside. Now, it, interestingly, the inverse is true for me is that I also, when I do well, I kind of think he should take notice. I'm like, uh, I, you know, did you notice that? And I'm thinking a blessing should be coming my way. You know, I, I actually scored a point here. I did something good. It's like making a deal with God, right? How many of us have done that? If you will only, I will never, or I will always, or whatever. And then we blow it within 24 hours, you know, and it means nothing anymore. But, but we do that. We have these expectations of God. See, most of us live with what I call an I. T-T-T philosophy. So what that stands for is if this, then that. And it's a logical approach to life. Cause and effect. If I do this, then logically that will happen. We live most of our lives based on the I-T-T-T philosophy. If this, then that. And it often works, except for when it doesn't because you don't see the bigger picture. And so your logic does not extend to the depth it needs to to really understand why something did or did not happen. Let me give you an example that every parent will understand. When your kids are little, you're like God to them. You're like omniscient. All You know because they're learning from you. Then they grow up, of course, and they realize you're just an idiot like everybody else. But when they're young... Come on, is that true? When they're young, you're like God to them. And so when you speak, you speak this truth. Daddy, he said this. And what happens is, is they get these things in their head, and then there's always that time that comes when you make a joke around them. But they don't have the depth of experience and the knowledge to understand that you've done humor and so they look at you, you make a joke, and it doesn't go along with the truth that they've heard from you. And they're like, you just lied. Anybody ever had your kids say that to you? You just lied because you said, and see, the problem is, is that you didn't really lie. You were using humor, but they don't have the depth of understanding of the whole picture, and they'll get it because every time you make a joke, they got to come to the place where they go, okay, that was meant to be funny. It's not, but that dad was meaning to be funny right there. They have to learn that, otherwise they will never understand. So their logic, 
doesn't include the bigger picture. And this is, see, the problem with our expectations on God is that so many of us think that we have it figured out, that we know. And, and many of you, look, I know so many of the people in this church, you're smart. Even if you never went to college, you've had 20 years or 30 years or 15 years or whatever it is of life learning. And you're, some of you have doctorates and you're, you're highly educated and you're really smart and you have all that. And you think that you have the bigger picture. But you don't. You say, people say, what, what did you hear from the preacher today? Well, some old guy that told me I was dumb. I, I don't know. It's just... See, we almost never had the bigger picture. There's a, uh, tons of examples of this in Scripture, but let me just give you one. Many of you are familiar with the guy whose name is Paul. He wrote many of the letters in the New Testament. He started out with the name Saul, but then he became Paul. And, but, 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 but Paul was, he was smart. He was highly educated. He was articulate. He was, this is a guy who had it together. And he was clearly, if you read it, an ITTT guy because... He was kind of black and white about stuff. And see, in his mind, because he was highly educated and he was a religious leader, Jewish religious leader, what he was observing was that many people were becoming Christians and they were converting from Judaism to Christianity. And this, of course, is deeply troubling to an ITTT guy because it's like this, if this happens, then it's bad for our religion and what we're doing in our community. And so if this, then that, okay, that's got to stop. And so he began to persecute Christians, trying to take them out of the way. And he did it brutally. Actually oversaw murder. He was, in, he was, a, he was a hard guy because it was like, if this, then that. It, just, it only makes sense. That's the way it is. Until. Until he came to an understanding of a bigger picture. Now, I, I want to read to you, if you want to look in your Bibles, or your Bible on your phone if you want to, we're going to look in Acts chapter 9 and begin at verse 1. I'll also put the words up on the screen, but this is interesting. And just a reminder, at this point, his name is still Saul. It hasn't been changed to Paul yet. But we'll pick up there. And this is what it says. It says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and Christians, in other words. So he went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogue in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, now notice way is capitalized, meaning if they were Christians, whether they were men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. And as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. Now, stop just for a moment. This is a supernatural event, unexpected supernatural event. that It wasn't just lightning struck. This was light from heaven flashed around him. And it says he fell to the ground and he heard a voice. And if you know the rest of the story, he actually went blind at that point. And he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And so Saul says, who are you, Lord? And the response is, I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting, who you believe, I'll I'll just add this parenthetically, died on the cross and didn't rise again, that, that was just another person and nobody. He says, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And he goes on, he says, now get up and go into the city and you will be told, what you must do. See, Paul, he had great logic. If this, then that. Until he caught a glimpse of what was already true, but he didn't know. And then it changed everything in his life. See, what he thought was he understood God. 
He thought, this is God, this is the way it is, this is how it's done. He had it all figured out. But in reality, his picture was not the size of God. Suddenly, everything changed, and his ITTT philosophy did not work. And he's not alone. I think most of us live with this, this if this, then that. That's, not, that's how we think. It's logical to us. We're so certain we know the bigger picture that when something doesn't go according to what we think it should, we move into this sort of perpetual disappointment. We're di- disappointed in people. We're disappointed in life. We're, we're just disappointed. Some of us, some of you listening to this, you're, 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 you're walking through your days just like life just, this is, nothing's working like it's supposed to. And that's how we're living our days. And so you work hard at your job. You know, you really push, 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 push. You learn. You, you do everything. You do everything that's been asked of you. And there is a promotion there. And there is another job that you're shooting for. And you should get it. You deserve it. You should get the pay raise that goes with it. And then the owner gives it to his lazy bum nephew. How should that happen? That's not fair. That's not right. See, life is filled with shoulds that go south because, and I want you to hear this, because we, 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 we kind of, our perspective on God is, God, you should do this, but God doesn't follow your perspective, your expectations, your should. The bottom line is God is bigger. He sees a bigger picture, a picture that you don't yet see, so you don't understand all that's going on. Great example is from the Old Testament is a character named Joseph. Some of you are familiar with him, but just... And, and, and I'll tell you, I, you know, sometimes I'll talk to people and they say, I don't like reading the Bible, and it's just confusing. You ought to try reading this. You start in the book of Genesis, chapter 37, and just read it to the end. It's narrative, it's easy reading, and it drives a huge point home. Because Joseph is this young kid who seems to have everything going for him. He's a wealthy family, favorite of his dad. It's all looking good until it isn't. And then everything <laughs> seems to be insanely horrible Time after time after time, his brothers actually sell him into slavery. Human trafficking was very real, and they sold him into slavery. And you'd think, okay, well, it's got to get better from there. It got worse. He winds up in prison. It's terrible. Now, what we can look back and see as we read the story is that all the things that were happening to him, because we have the gift of hindsight, were all coming together to move him to a place in an incredible way, of high leadership to save the lives of countless people. But Joseph couldn't know that because he could not see what was about to happen. He didn't have the gift we have of hindsight, and he didn't have the even better gift of knowing the end from the beginning, which God does. And what he didn't know as he's going through all this crap in his life is is how God was working all these things and bringing them together to some far higher end. Probably, and he would have had every right to think this way because that's how we think, is he's thinking, you have abandoned me, you have not come through, you don't care about what's happening in life, I try to follow you, I try to do the right thing, and this is what happens. And so he's presented with a choice that we all live with on a regular basis. We can live with either angry expectations Or we can trust God because God sees the stuff that we don't. Come on. Is that true? Anybody believe that? We can be angry about the things not going the way we think they should, or we can trust God. Let me put this in a way that maybe will help you understand it a little better. God doesn't act on our expectations because he sees what we simply cannot see. 
God sees the be- from the beginning, he sees the end. He knows what you can't and may never know until you get to that place. And so you're left with a choice. Do I live my life with sort of a perpetual anger or resentment of all the things that... See, we have this crappy stuff happen in our lives. Some of you are going through some stuff right now, and it's just terrible. I mean, you just... You're angry, you're miserable, your expectations have been shattered, you're, all the things that should happen have not happened, it's all gone south, and you don't deserve it, and it's wrong, and it's bad, and it's all that, all that is true. So the question is, what is the question you ask at that point? I think a lot of people make the mistake and they ask a why question. I don't think it's a why question, I think it's a what question. The why question is, why is this happening to me? Have you ever asked that? Why is this happening to me? Well, it doesn't really matter. It's happening. I think the good question is a what question. What should my response be when things are hard in my life? And I think, this is my opinion, you can disagree, but if you believe there is a God and you believe that he loves you, I think the reasonable answer is you trust him. You simply choose to trust God. When your expectations are shattered, when you thought God would get you your job or the house, it's like God's surely going to come through. He's got to take care of this. He's, he's got to do this, and then it doesn't happen. You make the decision. If you believe that God is and that he loves you, then you choose to trust God, not the circumstances. Some of you, this is what you came to hear. You have been trusting in the circumstances, what you see, but you don't see the whole picture. Are you missing this? You don't see the whole picture. Sometimes I think we're so arrogant because we're like, well, that's just stupid. That can't be. You don't know what you don't know. Come on. And so often this is what happens to us. I'm going to tell you, this is much easier to preach than it is to live. I, I get it. I could just preach on this all day. You need to just trust God in these hard times. And then they hit me and I fall apart. I'm like, what is this happening to me? You know? When you get hit hard in life, it's like it knocks you off balance and you're just trying to catch yourself. And I understand that. And sometimes we ask questions we shouldn't ask. But I think once you start to get even a little settled, you need to stop asking why and start asking what is the response. And the appropriate response is, you know, if you don't believe in God and you're not sure where you're at with him, this maybe doesn't speak to you in the same way. But if you follow God, the answer is, what should my response be? The answer is, I trust God. I want to just give you some simple thoughts on this. Because when I ask the question, what, what, what should the response be? It's not, I'm, I would not say to you it's optimism. Now, I'm a fan of optimism. I love optimistic people. I don't understand them, but I love them. And, and I think optimism is great, and we need more of it. But I'm going to be honest with you, optimism. It's not the answer. It's like the story, some of you, I'm sure, have heard it. Uh, you know, the boy who's you know, always optimistic, so they put him in a room full of horse manure. You've heard the story, right? And so they, they come back and find him, and he's digging through it happily, and they're like, what are you doing? He said, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere, you know? And <laughs> the story is sweet and fun and so unrealistic because how many of you know sometimes the only thing in that room is horse crap? Come on. The only thing there is horse crap. There's no pony in there. It's not like that. It doesn't work that way. And I think that when we're in that place where it feels like the room you're in is only full of horse crap and that's all there is, you need to make the decision. And let me just give you some simple thoughts on this. Number one, you choose to trust that God knows what you don't. 
God sees a picture you do not see. You trust that he's smarter than you, that he's bigger than you, that he sees a future that you cannot know. And sometimes, you know, we, we try to predict the future. and was, Actually, we're even right on it sometimes. But most of the time, you, you don't know. And that's why the Bible talks about the incredible importance of faith, that you trust God. In fact, you know the Scripture says, this is Hebrews eleven six. 6, it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Why? Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. So number one, you believe that there is a God. And number two, that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You understand that he loves you. If you want to connect with God, you have to trust him. So that means in the middle of the dark place, when your marriage feels like it's just terrible, when you're, when you're afraid you're not going to be able to save your house, or whatever it is, or somebody's going to die, whatever it is, you trust that God knows what you don't. You know, it's funny sometimes, now, you know, now that I'm in the senior category, <laughs> I, I have this happen on a regular basis. People say, I love talking to you. You have such wisdom, which is what they say to anybody who's bald or has gray hair. You know, it's like, you have wisdom. And I always laugh because, you want to know the truth about me? The more I learn, the more I understand how much I don't know. See, we, we get our ITTT, this, this, if this, then that, it's a sort of arrogant perspective. It assumes that I know all there is to know. Joseph probably was, they had times where he was just angry with God. Why is this happening to me? But he couldn't know what he couldn't know. So you choose, you tr- choose to trust that God knows what you don't. And then secondly, and this is just simple stuff, guys. You trust that God's at work. In spite of how it looks, in spite of how it feels. You know what Jesus said? He said, my father is always working. God is always working. And here's what you can know in the dark, difficult places of your life when you think God should be doing something, that God is. He's always working. And he's actually, this is biblical, he's working on your behalf. You can't see it. You don't know what it's going to look like. But he knows what you don't, and he's working on your behalf. This is what Scripture says. Many of you know it, Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purposes. I highlighted the words, works for the what? Okay, let's see if we can get seven people to answer that one. He works for the what? For the good. He's working, and he's working for your good. Even in the dark places when it seems that God is absent, it's like the dark night of the soul, God knows what you don't, and he is working for your good. Don't miss that. Trust him. Trust that not only does he know what you don't know, he is at work, he is there. You know, TVC this weekend, we we just want to highlight Compassion International. This is a, a ministry, an organization, an international organization that serves children in impoverished places all over the world. And Ann and I have been partners, huge fans and partners for decades with them now. And um, in the early years, we've, I, don't, I don't even know how many children we've sponsored over the years, but in the early years, when we were sending money off to Compassion International, I can't remember when it started. It was in the 20s. I'm not sure where it's at now with inflation and all, but, but I didn't know where that money really was going. I mean, they tell stuff, but I didn't know. You know I, did, I had to take it on, can anybody say it? On, on faith. 
Now, in the intervening years, I have now the gift of hindsight because Ann and I have been on Compassion International trip. I have actually sat down, been in the homes of, eaten with, seen letters that I wrote pasted on the wall to kids that we supported over the years. And I know what an amazing ministry it is and what it does. But we started at a place of faith. Can I just say to you, if you're not doing something like that, if you're not supporting someone internationally, you are a rich American, and it's a good thing to do. And I encourage you, out in the lobby, there's a table, and you can look at those, those faces out there, and you can think about what it would mean to challenge them. But the, the thing you do it on is you do it on faith. You trust that it will work. I love a quote I read in the last six months to a year, and I've been reminding myself this periodically because this is who I want to be. This is by a gal named Nancy Parker Brummett, who's an author. She said, for the rest of my life, I'm going to trust that God's always at work in all things. And I love this next part. And give him thanks long before my simplest prayers are answered. Isn't that good? I'm going to choose this as a way of life. Even when it looks dark, I will, number one, trust that you know what I don't. And number two, I will trust that you are working and working on my behalf. And then let me give you a third thought, and I'll finish with this. And this is going to seem almost silly to some of you. But I will choose, and some of you, this is why you came. This is what you need to hear. Because God is who he is, I will choose to relax, to just relax. Maybe you don't need weed. Maybe you need to relax. And some of you are going, but it helps me to relax. But maybe you need to find your relaxation in just saying, I trust that you know what I don't and that you are working on my behalf. I'm not talking here about, you know, pop culture mindfulness, although I think that's a great thing. What I'm really talking about here is pretty simple, really. I'm talking about you just choosing to say, God's got this, so I will unclench. So interesting because Jesus would often say to his disciples, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, go in peace. He'd say, I think in today's vernacular it would be Jesus saying, I got this, guys. You're all right. Relax. Relax. Just look at the person next to you and go, relax. Come on, just say it to him now. Just like that. Relax. Unclench. You need to just, just to say, God, God has this. I love how the message paraphrase, at one point Jesus is trying to get his disciples to understand he's got it. God's going to take care of him. And then he says, this is message paraphrase, but it's so good. He says, what I'm trying to do here is get you to, say it out loud with me. Okay, let's try it again. What I'm trying to get you to do here is to get you to what? Relax. Relax. It's okay. It's okay. It's okay. God knows what you don't, and he's working for you. Relax is saying, I don't got this. It's hard, but you got it. And I will trust you. I will trust you. I will trust you. I'm not going to sweat this. And I know that's easy to say. When somebody tells you to relax, do you ever feel like punching them, you know, when they say that? Uh, so a lot of you are like, I feel like punching you right now. If you knew, I don't know what's going on in your life. See, what I know is, is that I know that God knows what you don't. And I know that he's at work in your behalf. So whatever you're facing, he's, he's got a plan and he's working and he's moving. I love how the psalmist writes it. 
He says this. This is, one, this is one of my favorite places in Scripture, Psalm 131, verses 1 and part of 2. He says, I don't concern myself with great, mat, great matters or things too wonderful for me. In other words, I don't get worked up about this stuff that I can't control, but I have calmed and quieted myself like a weaned child. I love this last part. I am, say it out loud with me, I'm content. I'm content not because things are going perfectly, but because God is. God loves me. He knows what I don't. He's at work. So I'm going to unclench and relax. Amen. Amen. Sermon over. I will say this to you. We always think, what's the next step? What's the next step? We're hoping that you will take a next step in some way. Maybe for you it's to start going to church regularly. Maybe you're not a follower of Jesus. You realize God's speaking to you. You can make that decision to follow him today. Open your heart to him. It's not complicated. Maybe it's to get baptized next week. One way, one next step you can take is to share in communion as followers of Jesus. And so we have places in the front, tables with bowls with communion elements in them. And I would invite you just to, during the next song, come up and take the communion elements back to your chair. Now, here's why this is so powerful, because it's a reminder that when everything looks its darkest, God knows what we don't, and he's got it. Jesus hung on a cross, died. Everything seemed lost, but God knew what we didn't. And he rose, and he redeemed us. And that's why he said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. So during the song we sang, you can come up and take the element Take one of the packages, take it back to your chair, open the bread side, and as you eat that bread, remember what Jesus said. I did this for you. As you drink the cup, remember what Jesus said and unclench because God says, you don't got this, but I do. Relax. Amen? Amen. So I'll pray, and then we can do that. God, thank you. Thank you that you got what we think is the end of the world, it ain't no big deal to you. And so now we remember what you've done with grateful and trusting hearts in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. If you found this message encouraging, we invite you to share it. For more information, visit tbcweb.com.